Good morning, Valley family. Welcome. We are kicking off a brand new series today. I am really, really excited about I can't think of a more practical uh, series for this time in which we're living today uh, than this series uh, that we're beginning called The Daniel Dilemma. Um, This has been uh, a number of years ago that I actually uh, read this book by Pastor Chris Hodges, and we've thought about several times doing this series, put it on the schedule, and for one reason or another, just didn't feel like it fit. But man, it really does. I think you're going to see that it fits perfectly uh, right now. So uh, I want to go ahead and invite you to open up the Valley Christian Church website, and there you'll see the sermon page, and my notes are in there. I think you're going to want to add a little bit of your own to those, and you can save those by email them to yourself. Uh, so that's valleyny.cc and you'll see the message note little uh, place there. Click on that and it'll, you'll have my notes in front of you uh, as well. So we're kicking off uh, looking at a uh, little background here, the first six chapters really in the book of Daniel. Now Daniel is one of the prophetic books. What's interesting about it is it's not only prophetic but it's also historical. And I think it's pretty cool that the way that the Bible, the Old Testament, is actually put together uh, is that uh, it's grouped in the prophetic books, but these six chapters at the beginning of Daniel really are just about the history of what takes place uh, with, with the Hebrew people while they're in captivity in Babylon. I think there's a reason for that. I don't think it's accidental. The last six chapters are prophetic insights that God gives to Daniel. But those first six, I think you see these repeated over and over and over, uh, this kind of story, these circumstances, these situations, over and over and over again throughout history. So much so that I I think we're seeing it repeated right in front of our eyes today. As, As a nation, as a culture, we are moving farther and farther away from God into godlessness, and culture is trying to squeeze us in to a mold, and and it's really shifting all around us. And that's what I want to look at here in Daniel chapter 1 about this cultural shift that happens, that takes place uh, with Daniel and and the Hebrews that are in captivity there. So this is the Babylonian captivity. You'll hear about that if you read the Old Testament, the captivity. Uh, The people of God, Israel, had turned away from God. They weren't serving Him any longer. And they said, when you turn, when you rebel against me, they're People are going to come in, other nations, and conquer you and lead you captive. And so Nebuchadnezzar is the king uh, over Babylon at this time. And let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. It says, Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and there's some tough names in here, so bear with me. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family, the nobility. So important to remember that. Who we're going to look at, these, these folks he's bringing in, are from the royal family, the nobility, the king's household, who was the king over Israel when they were conquered. Uh, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. So not only were they royal, they also had to be very, very intelligent, and they had to be good looking as well. And so they're choosing these out of the uh, fallen king of Israel's household and out of his family. It says they have to be well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So this is like the elite of the elite, the upper echelon in Israel that had been conquered. It says he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So he's like, I'm going to feed them, you know, I'm going to totally immerse them in the Babylonian culture. Really important that we kind of 
just take a minute and think about what's happening here. The king's plan was to completely immerse the, the cream of the crop, if you will, of the nation of Israel in Babylonian culture, which was, was pagan culture, anti-God you know, culture. And it says they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, and here are the names. It's not all of them, but these are four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel is the one that, that is the focal point that book is named after. So these are four of the top elite from Israel in the royal family, all those qualifications we just read, and these are the four highlighting four of those those men and and then uh in the next verse in, in verse seven it says the chief official gave them new names now this is really important to daniel the name belshazzar to hananiah shadrach to mishael meshach and to azria abednego now maybe you grew up uh, i know our our three daughters, my, Susie and I, our three daughters, grew up uh, with veggie tales. And maybe you know about the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and, and Daniel a, as well from, from veggie tales. What's interesting is most of the time we refer to them by their Babylonian names, not from their God-given Hebrew names. In other words, we refer to them from their false identity, from the, from the cultural uh, tagging and labeling of the Babylonians not from the name that God gave them. That's really, really key when culture shifts. And, and so there's, there's three things that I want to share with you that, that we need to be aware of when culture shifts. It happened back in the Babylonian captivity thousands and thousands of years ago. And it also is happening right now, right in our culture, in our community maybe even in your own family. As again, our, as a nation, we're moving away from God, anti-Christ. You know, even, even just this week, I, I saw major news network, two anchors on CNN, just laughing and making jokes about Christians. And nobody says a thing. Couldn't do that about any other faith. But about Christians, oh yeah, Target, of all kinds of ridicule. That's in the United States of America. I, I, don't, I don't believe that there's going to be some kind of, you know, in, in the future, some kind of wholesale persecution that's going to come upon Christians in America. I don't think that's going to be happening in the future. I, don't, I think it's here. I think it's here right now. It's like you can be anything in the, in the United States today but a Christian. Something's wrong with you, most people think. And so how can we, when culture shifts, how can we stay true to who God wants us to be and also love those around us the way God wants us to? That's the key. That's the Daniel dilemma that we can learn so much from. And culture is shifting. So three things that happen when culture shifts. Here's the first one. It'll try to rename you. When, when, when culture becomes godless, antichrist, pagan, It'll try to rename you, just like the Babylonians renamed these Hebrew children. In fact, uh, 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 look at Daniel. What is it? Daniel, his name meant God is my judge in Hebrew. His Babylonian name, Balshazar, was Lady Protect the King. 
Think about this for just a minute. This was what his parents named him. God is my judge. I am living my life before God. The Babylonians say, no, you're not even a man. You're a woman. Interesting, historically, every pagan culture always has gender confusion. You can look at that over time, the Vikings, I mean, just Germanic tribes, uh, the Celts even, uh, before Christianity. Every pagan culture has gender confusion, issues of gender identity growing in our own nation. Nothing new under the sun at all, while we slide further and further away from God and more into paganism. Then Hananiah. Hananiah His name meant Yahweh has been gracious. God is so good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. The Babylonians say, no, that's not your name anymore. Your name is Shadrach. I am fearful of God. God is not good. You should be afraid of our God. Change his name. Change his identity. Then Mishael. Mishael means who is what God is. I mean, who is like the Lord? Who is even closer? Who is like it? There's no one. He's so much higher above. His love is so much greater. Who is like the Lord? No, we're going to change your name to Meshach. Meshach means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. You see what's happening here? The label, labeling people. And the last one, Azariah. Azariah meant Yahweh has helped Yahweh has helped me. I've, I've been, man, I've been through some difficult times and struggling, but God has never forgotten me. God is with me. They changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Nebo was one of their idols, one of their pagan gods. It's like, no, Yahweh is not helping you, son. You're a slave now to our God. One of the first things that culture does when it begins to shift is it begins to rename you. And it renames you by, by, oh, you're a Christian? That that means you hate these people. Oh, oh, you're a Christian? That means you don't do this. All these different labels, and, and it's so prevalent today, all these names, you're this, you're that, you're this because you're a Christian. Or, or you use this hashtag, you mean, you, you know, this is what you stand for. You, use this, you don't use this hashtag, we'll judge you on your character. All of this is rooted in Babylonian anti-God anti-Christ culture. Nothing new under the sun. You know, what, what people call you makes a difference. One of the things I've been doing in my uh, kind of quarantine that we had, I've gotten really, really deep into our family tree, uh, on, uh, got my DNA tested and, you know, found out all my, my different background and all that. And on some of my family, I've been able to trace all the way back to the 1300s. But it was really interesting, uh, kind of a shocker. Uh, we found out right about 1800 uh, that really my whole family, our, our last name really should not be Williamson. That in 1800, there was a man, young man, he was 15 years old, and, and he got a, a young lady who was also, they think maybe 15 years old, maybe younger than that, got her pregnant. And that child was an illegitimate child. And instead of taking the name of his father, because of the shame, he took the name of his mother. And her maiden name was Williamson. That's where my name comes from. His father actually had come from nobility in England, 
in the 1700s all the way back into the 1500s and were actually knights and noblemen. And his last name was Thornton. That should be, I should be Gregory Thornton. But because of this illegitimate child that had so much shame, he would not take that noble name of his father. Instead, he took the name of his mother, which was Williamson. And you know, you, I know enough of my family tree from that time on. Williamson's had been noble as Thornton's. They were not very noble after that. In fact, just some, some just awful people. My, my, my ancestors, my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. In fact, my great-great-grandfather is the one that this happened to. Thank God that he can redeem the names. He can redeem your name. He can redeem the, the, the names that your parents called you. The, the nicknames you picked up in school. The, the, the things that people said about you. You're good for nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You're stupid. God can redeem those names. But we see here when, when culture is trying to press out Christ, they relabel and they rename. Just like it happened here. When culture shifts, we must know who we are. We must know who we are when culture shifts. And, and look at the next verse in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He said, I'm not going to eat all the delicacies of Babylon. I'm not going to allow myself to be immersed in this pagan culture. I'm going to stand. And it's interesting how he stands. Not in an abrasive way. He doesn't scream. He doesn't shout. He doesn't picket. He doesn't protest. But with grace, he stands for truth and he shows love and respect. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief, look at it, he asked. He didn't scream, he didn't yell, he didn't destroy property. He asked the chief official for permission, permission not to defile himself in this way. He said, you know, I'd rather not compromise my standards, what I stand for. So I'm going to ask if I can have permission from the king that I wouldn't eat this food because it was against the Jewish Levitical law, the delicacies of Babylon. And he would have to compromise himself as a Jew, as a Hebrew. And he said, I'm asking, I'm appealing for permission. I'm not doing this on my own. This isn't some kind of response or reaction. I'm asking for permission. Would you allow me to continue to eat the way that my people do? Look at the next verse, Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Isn't that amazing? Because of Daniel's approach to corrupt, ungodly authority, because he approached him with respect and asked for permission, God did what only he can do, and he gave him favor. Man, if you can't connect the dots for how practical the Bible is for today, this is so crazy clear. Now, God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you, uh, who has assigned your food and drink. He says, I'm afraid. I, I want to allow you to eat what you would normally eat in Israel, 
and not the, the food of Babylon, but I'm afraid what the king's going to do if I allow you to do that. And goes on and says, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because he goes, if, if, if you keep your, your Levitical diet as a Jew, you're going to be skinny, you're going to be sickly, and you're not going to look as healthy as these others in Babylon. He said, I'm really, really afraid. And so first, a culture that's shifting, it, it'll rename. It'll label you something that you're not. Try to push you into some kind of stereotype. Second thing is this, a culture, it'll test you. It'll test you. Pagan, ungodly, anti-God, anti-Christ culture will test you. And look at what happens in the next verse. Daniel chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Daniel then said to the guard and the chief official who, had appointed, who was appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azra, please, Test your service. He's like, go ahead, give us a shot. And notice what he said, please. We used to say with our kids all the time, you know, they're like, I want it. And we'd say, what's the magic word? It's just crazy how our culture just doesn't even remember that word please anymore. Just being gracious and respectful. Please, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. In other words, give us nothing that violates those principles that God gave us that we're aware of. It goes on and says, Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Listen, for many of us, we're being tested today and if you haven't, aren't being tested today to take a stand for what you should as a Christian, just wait, you'll be tested real soon. It, it's part of walking with God. And again, as our culture becomes more and more antagonistic towards anything godly, we're going to be tested more and more and more to see what we're really made of, what our character really is, what our priorities really are. Will we be immersed in a godless culture that is rising or will we take a stand, like Daniel did, with love and grace and honor and respect? And God used Daniel to impact the entire Babylonian empire. Well, that we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's over the next few weeks that we're going to see that. Pagan, a culture that shifts, it will try to rename you. It will try to test you. And I believe a culture right now is, is really creating a confrontation that we need to be prepared when it comes, because it's, it's here. When, when culture shifts, we must respond in the right way. It's so important that you and I respond in the correct way. We, we don't overreact. We're not passive, but we respond in the right way. And there's really two extremes, I, I think, when it comes to uh, Christian faith that are wrong responses when culture shifts. Uh, those two extremes are legalism and universalism. Let me explain those. Legalism is, this is what, this is what the Bible says, I'm right, you're wrong. You, you know, it's, it's all these rules and regulations. It's we judge everybody else. We point out what's wrong with everybody else. We'd rather make a point than to make a difference. You can be right, but you're wrong because you break a friendship and, and you ruin a relationship because you've pointed out things without love. Universalism is God just loves everybody the same. We're all going to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. 
And so let anybody, let them all do, do what you want. Whatever feels good, do it. That's universalism. Both of these are error. Both of these are extreme. And both of these need to be avoided. That's not the right response when culture shifts. In fact, let's go back to our title slide. I want to point out something even in the graphic there, the Daniel dilemma. Here it is, how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise that we're living in today. But you see here these scales. One side is the Bible, the other side is the heart. So we have the word, but the word by itself kills. We have to remember love and keep those things in balance. And we see that Jesus did this continually in the New Testament. He lived full of truth and love. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And so what is truth? Truth is God's standard. Truth is God's, what God says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Bible puts it this way. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. See, see, it's really common for people to say, well, I'm a good person, and we feel like we're a good person because we compare ourselves to other people, which we should never do to begin with. The only way we know we're good or not if we compare ourselves to the perfection of Jesus Christ. How do we measure up there? I, I mean, most people kind of have this, I, I kind of call it 51% Christianity, and it's like, okay, on the scale of, like, Hitler's the worst and Jesus Christ is the best, as long as I'm, like, not on the low side, I'm just 51%, I'm a good person. But that's not what the Bible says. If it was just 51%, you're a good person, Jesus didn't have to come and die to live a sinless life and to die a sacrificial death for you and for me, if, if it only took being a good person and to rise again from the dead. Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and rose from the dead because none of us are even good in comparison to what God expects. Jesus is what God expects, that perfection. That's why he died. That's why he came, because he loved you so much, because God loved you so much that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him, not be a good person, would believe in him, would have everlasting life. It's a gift. We're saved by grace. You can't earn it. It's not 51%, it's not 85%, it's not even 99%. It's still short of what God expects from us. So we, salvation is not a reward. We're not trying to earn it so that we don't boast about it. Truth is God's standard. Grace is God's favor. That's what we were just talking about. God's grace, that's God's favor upon us. See, without truth, we're corrupt. Without grace, we're condemned. Without truth, we're corrupt. Without grace, we're condemned. Without truth, we become worldly. Without grace, 
we become judgmental. And man, there are all kinds of people that name Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're without truth, very, very worldly. The Bible calls it carnal. Or very, very judgmental, mean as rattlesnakes, because they've got the truth, but they don't have the grace. Mean-spirited Christians. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth and grace is medicine. That's what we need. Truth and grace. Held together in a, it's a dynamic tension that holds them in balance, should hold them in balance in our lives. Just as it says in the New Testament that we would speak the truth in love. Grace and truth, grace and truth. See, grace invites us to be free. Truth is what sets us free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Grace is, I can never earn this. I don't deserve it. But it's a free gift because of Jesus Christ and his obedience to the Father who lived that sinless life, showed us what life's supposed to look like, the way he lived it. Laid his life down on the cross for you and me as a sacrifice and a substitute and rose again from the dead, proven that he paid in full the price for my personal sins, your personal sins, and all who would receive him as their Savior and Lord. So when culture shifts, it'll try to rename you. It'll try to test you. And the third thing is this, it'll try to intimidate you. A lot of that going on in America today. One group trying to intimidate another, another group trying to intimidate them. When culture shifts, it's not about grace anymore. It's not about mercy anymore. It's about intimidation. It's a tactic. Fear is a tactic. We'll get into this a whole lot more next week. And I invite you to come back as we go a little bit deeper into the book of Daniel here. But, but for now, back to the book of Daniel in, in chapter 1, verse 20. It says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. After the, the testing time was over, the king calls him in and he begins to question Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. Think about that. He's trying to intimidate them. He's questioning them. He's interrogating them. And, and those four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stand out from the rest of the crowd because they took a stand and they did it in grace. They stood for the truth and they were gracious about it. And I love this, what King Nebuchadnezzar discovers. They were ten times better because they did it God's way. They were ten times better 
then all the magicians and enchanters, then, then all the Babylonians. Ten times better is what he discovered. When culture shifts, it'll try to rename you. It'll try to test you and it'll try to intimidate you as well. And, and the greatest intimidation, the greatest test, the greatest fear is coming next week. We're going to look at that when it has to do with who you're going to worship, who you're going to prioritize in your life. And again, we'll see Daniel. We'll, we'll see him in truth and grace respond to a pagan, ungodly king in government and God show miraculous things on his behalf. I love this. So powerful. But for today, let me ask you this question. Ask yourself the question. Will I change the world or will the world change me? Which is it going to be? Are you going to be immersed in, in, a, in a culture that is increasingly anti-God? Or are you going to take a stand in grace and truth for what you really believe? Here's the next question to ask yourself. Will my identity come from God or from the world, what they label me? When, when, when someone says, oh, you're a Christian, you must hate these people over here because you're a Christian. You're, you're going you're gonna to allow the world to label you and give you your identity. Or are you going to stand for what God says we should stand for? With grace and with truth. No matter what the end result is, we trust God. See, here at Valley Christian Church, you know, we may not wear suits and ties. I may not wear a suit and tie or I may not wear a clerical collar. We, we may be a little bit more current in the way we dress and the way that we worship. But I think it's so, so important that we remember this, Valley family. We are always going to hold high God's truth because it's God's truth. It's not Greg's truth. This is, this is what God's word says. So we're going to always hold high God's truth, but not only that. We're also going to freely give God's grace. We're not going to beat people over the head. We're not going to try to manipulate and motivate by guilt and shaming people. That, that's, that's not grace. That's, that's what just legalism does. But we're going to speak the truth in love and extend grace to everyone. That's why I like to say the one rule of this church is this. Here at Valley, no perfect people are allowed. No perfect people are allowed. If you're looking for perfect people, keep looking for another church because that's not who we are at Valley Family. We're, we're not perfect, but you know what we are? We're allowing the truth of God's word to change our hearts. And it's not condemnation, but it's his grace. And it draws us forward to become more and more the people that God created us to be. We're going to hold high God's truth and we're going to freely give God's grace. Why would you do that? Why is that so important? Because that's who Jesus was and that's who Jesus is. Let me end with this verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, that's Jesus, he's capital W, he's the Word, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, there it is, 
He was full of grace and truth. Not one over the other. Dynamic tension, balance, power, full of grace and full of truth. That's why Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Later on he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. We're not going to water down the word and we're not going to forget about grace because Jesus was full of grace and truth. Valley family, I believe that's who God is calling us into even deeper, be even more gracious than we've ever been before and know the truth and stand for the truth in the middle of a compromised culture to really be the people of God that this world needs you to be, that this world needs me to be. Let's do this together. I want to challenge you to really spend some time over this next week and as we're in this series, three more messages in this series, to really allow the Holy Spirit to take an inside look. Grace and truth. If you're married, is that how your spouse would describe you? If your parent, is that how your kids would describe you? What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? What about when someone treats you wrongly, badly, hurts you? God has given you and I the Holy Spirit on the inside, the same Spirit that was in Jesus Christ, inside of us, filling us. At that moment, we receive Him as our Savior so that we would in kind allow the Holy Spirit to flow through our lives grace and truth. I'm going to stop right there. Next week we're going to pick it up again and we're going to, we're going to look at this whole idea of when, when culture that's shifting tries to shift our priorities, our focus, What's number one? What's at the center of our lives? And again, we're going to learn some real practical, biblical, godly responses as we look at the life of Daniel that God just promoted and elevated even in this corrupt anti-God nation and empire of the Babylonian Empire to really have influence and impact all around the world. So I invite you back next week. I'm going to invite you right now. Would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that is timeless. Lord, Lord, it's almost like we're, we're reading about a young man in 2020 in the United States that showed us a way that we need to remember and rediscover. Lord, thank you for this godly example of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four who took a stand in grace with truth. And Lord, how you just poured out your power upon them. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just show us our hearts during this series, even right now. Lord, I just believe your Holy Spirit's just tugging on the inside. 
as your word is, is just shining lights in our heart, and your Holy Spirit is bringing that grace as well, that we would be convicted, not condemned, convicted that we can do better with your Holy Spirit in our life. Father, forgive us when we've allowed the world to immerse us in its actions, its activities, and its priorities. Have we forgotten our identity, who you have named us, who you have created us to be? And may we pursue the purpose that you created each and every one of us to fulfill with all of our hearts as we pursue Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity, if you've never taken a moment, taken that first step of faith to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Because it's by grace that the invitation is extended, and it's by truth that we're set free knowing Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer that you can repeat after me. And I just invite you to open your heart up to Jesus Christ right now and receive him as your Savior and invite him to be your Lord today. Just pray after me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior and to be my Lord from this day forward. I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit and I will follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen.